welcome to The Climate Realist. Here, we'll talk about realistic and achievable things you can do to help with climate change. Personally, I believe that the Earth's climate is changing in a major way and that most of it is human-caused. If you are skeptical, please listen anyway. I respect your point of view, and this podcast may help you to understand what all the fuss is about. At the very least, you'll hear a lot of ways to save money. In this episode, we're going to talk about nuclear fusion. We'll be hearing a lot more about this in the coming years, so the climate realist is going to help you understand what it's all about. Imagine a future powered by clean, abundant energy, where we can meet our future energy needs without hydroelectric dams, thousands of acres of solar panels, huge windmill farms, or, gasp, fossil fuel power plants. If this sounds like nuclear power, you're getting warmer. What we're going to talk about today is nuclear fusion. All existing nuclear power comes from nuclear fission. I'll help you to understand the difference and how fusion will help. Just a heads up to our listeners. If you could already explain the difference between nuclear fission and fusion to a class of high school seniors, congratulations. You can probably skip right past this podcast episode. If you're a nuclear physicist, you should definitely skip this episode. But the vast majority of people don't fit into either camp. Most descriptions of nuclear energy are either oversimplistic or overly complicated. Most people are lucky to have even the vaguest idea of how it works. Here, we'll take the climate realist approach and tackle the subject from the middle. In the pursuit of clean and abundant energy, renewables like solar and wind have found their sweet spot. Yes, we absolutely need them, but they are intermittent and can't be our only source of power. Hydropower is great, but there's a huge environmental impact from damming rivers. Complementary to these are two nuclear technologies, fission and fusion. While both of these harness the power of the atom, they do so in fundamentally different ways. Let's explore the key differences between these two power sources and their potential impact on our future. Nuclear fission is probably what you think of when it comes to nuclear power. It's a well-established technology currently used to generate electricity around the world. It works by splitting the nucleus of a heavy atom, such as uranium-235, into two smaller nuclei. This process releases a tremendous amount of energy, which can be used to heat water and generate steam, ultimately driving turbines and producing electricity. Nuclear fission has several advantages. First, it's mature. Fission power plants have been operating for decades, providing a reliable and proven source of energy. They've been used since the 1950s nuclear submarines. Generation 3 or 4 nuclear power plants are getting increasingly safe. Have a listen to episode 8 of this podcast about small modular nuclear reactors. Nuclear fission generates a large amount of energy from a small amount of fuel, making it a relatively compact energy source. Compared to fossil fuels, fission power plants produce far lower greenhouse gas emissions, contributing to a cleaner environment. Fission, unfortunately, has some huge disadvantages. It generates radioactive waste that needs to be safely stored for thousands of years, posing a long-term safety and environmental concern. The technology used in some types of fission power plants can also be used to create nuclear weapons, raising concerns about nuclear proliferation. And accidents. 
While rare, accidents at fish and power plants like Chernobyl and Fukushima can have devastating consequences. Now let's talk about nuclear fusion. Instead of splitting atoms, fusion means merging atoms. These are fundamentally different concepts. Fusion has some serious advantages over any fossil fuel energy sources. Fusion produces no greenhouse gas emissions or harmful air pollutants, making it a truly clean energy source. The fuel for fusion, hydrogen isotopes, are readily available in seawater, making it a virtually limitless energy resource. We don't even need to do any mining. Only a small amount of this material is needed to produce vast amounts of energy. Fusion generates very little radioactive waste compared to fission, significantly reducing long-term environmental concerns. Fusion reactions are inherently safe and cannot produce a runaway chain reaction, making them less prone to accidents. Indeed, rather than a runaway reaction, the main problem with fusion is getting the reaction to keep going in the first place without consuming more energy than it creates. The moment you stop supplying the energy and tightly control magnetic fields, the reaction stops. Fusion also has a few disadvantages. Although the sun, and every star, does this effortlessly, recreating the extreme conditions needed for fusion on Earth is a significant technical challenge that scientists are still working to overcome. The sun is over 100 times the diameter of the Earth and hundreds of thousands of times more massive. This results in an extremely strong gravitational pull. Even without the nuclear fusion happening, the core of the sun would still be a very high-pressure place. Fusion power is still in its early stages of development, and commercially viable fusion reactors will be years, if not over a decade away. Sorry, fusion fans, this is going to take a while. Be patient. And research and development of fusion technology requires significant investment and resources. It's a lot harder than digging a lump of coal out of the ground and burning it in your grandma's stove. Both nuclear fission and fusion have the potential to play a crucial role in our future energy landscape. Fission currently provides a proven and reliable source of clean energy, while fusion promises a virtually limitless and environmentally friendly energy source in the long run. The choice between these technologies will depend on a variety of factors, including technological advancements, economic considerations, and public acceptance. As research and development continue, both fusion and fission have the potential to help us win the battle with climate change. Hopefully, the public acceptance of fusion will be much better than fission nuclear power. Remember, the choice between nuclear fission and fusion is not an either-or proposition. Both technologies will have a role to play in our clean energy future, and continued research and development will be crucial in unlocking their future potential. So now that we've discussed the difference between fission and fusion, most of what we'll talk about in the rest of this episode is understanding nuclear fusion. So how does this work? Nuclear fusion is the process that powers stars, including our own sun. In the sun's core, hydrogen atoms are forced together under immense pressure and heat, causing them to fuse into helium and release tremendous amounts of energy. This process is responsible for the sun's light and warmth, and it also has the potential to revolutionize our energy production here on Earth. For our purposes, this requires hydrogen isotopes. So what's the term isotope, you ask? Well, each element has a nucleus that contains a definitive amount of protons orbited by a definitive number of electrons. 
is follow the atomic number in the periodic table you may remember from high school. So hydrogen has one proton and it's number one in the periodic table. Helium has two, lithium has three protons, and so forth. By the time you get up to uranium, at 92 in the periodic table, there are 92 protons. All elements, except plain hydrogen, also have neutrons in their nucleus. An isotope is a variant of an element that has the same number of protons, but a different number of neutrons. The hydrogen-2 isotope, deuterium, has an extra neutron, while hydrogen-3 isotope has two extra neutrons. The reason neutrons are important here is that in order to get from hydrogen to helium, we need a couple of neutrons. Pure hydrogen lacks these, which is why they need to use hydrogen isotopes for any practical earthbound fusion reaction. And back to the ranch. Fusion releases an immense amount of energy, much more than any other energy source on Earth. I'll point out the irony here that all of our solar energy comes from the sun, and even fossil fuels originally came from solar-powered plant and animal life. We already live on a nuclear fusion-powered planet. So here's a simplified breakdown of how fusion reactors work here on Earth. First, hydrogen gas is heated to millions of degrees Celsius, turning it into a superheated state called plasma. Plasma is the hottest, densest state of matter, and it's essential for fusion to occur. Just this part alone is a major technical feat, as heating anything to millions of degrees is tough. The hot plasma needs to be confined within a specific area for long enough for the fusion reaction to take place. This is typically done using powerful magnetic fields that create a magnetic bottle to hold the plasma. This is also a major technical feat. When two hydrogen isotope nuclei get close enough, they overcome the repulsion between them and combine to form a helium nucleus, releasing energy in the form of heat and radiation. Hydrogen atoms each have one proton and one electron, and because they're hydrogen isotopes, they also have a neutron. When two of these combine, or fuse, the resulting nucleus then has two protons and two neutrons, orbited by two electrons. That means we now have helium, number two on the periodic table. This process is called fusion. Fusion releases immense amount of energy, and fusion power plants will use this to generate electricity. There's certainly some challenges on the path to fusion power. There's reaching and maintaining the extremely high temperatures. There's confining the hot plasma long enough for the fusion to occur, and then developing materials that can withstand the extreme conditions inside of a fusion reactor. At the temperatures necessary to maintain a reaction, pretty much any material on Earth would melt or worse. Imagine trying to melt steel in an aluminum cooking pan. The cooking pan itself would melt long before the steel got hot enough to be liquid. The same concept applies here, which is why the fusion containment needs to be done using magnetic fields or some other technique. It's also difficult to achieve a net energy gain, where the fusion reaction produces more energy than it takes to initiate and sustain it. Despite these challenges, scientists are making significant progress. This all requires some big, custom, expensive equipment. Nuclear physicists and engineers really like their expensive toys. Well, there are some radioactive byproducts, and at the risk of oversimplifying, I think we can accept that helium, as the main fusion byproduct, is not much worse than the hydrogen isotopes they started with. 
The fusion byproducts are certainly much more pleasant to work with than the nasty and radioactive uranium or plutonium isotopes that fission reactors deal with. So let me see. The sort of harmless gas we fill party balloons with, or a deadly substance that will kill you if you even get near it, and that can be used to build nuclear weapons. Yep, fusion sounds better all the time. In the definitive fusion reactor, our sun, there's a continual process merging hydrogen into helium. In some stars, this results in a large amount of helium, which then starts to fuse together into heavier elements. Everything on Earth, all elements heavier than helium, ultimately come from the fusion of hydrogen nuclei in the core of stars, or supernovae from dying stars. Fortunately, fusion power plants would rarely proceed past the creation of elements beyond helium. To get a fusion reaction started and maintained, it takes a huge amount of energy. But once the reaction is going, it creates an even larger amount of energy. The ratio between the energy input and the energy output is called the energy gain factor, or Q. For a fusion reactor, we have to build this immensely complex device, hook it up to a huge existing power source, and if we're lucky, we get slightly more energy out of the exercise than we put in. What we need for it to be commercially viable is in an energy ratio of at least 10, and probably more like 20 or 30. Recently, an energy ratio of 1.5 has been achieved in a fusion reactor in a way that can be recreated. So a Q of 1.5 is currently state of the art. So if we need 10 or 20, why are scientists so excited about an energy ratio of 1.5? Because 1.5 is much better than just breaking even at 1, and certainly better than 0.5 or 0.01, where far more power needs to be supplied to the reactor than they can get out the other end. So any number substantially above 1.0 is really good news. It proves that we've moved from theory into reality. It also means that 10 or 20 or even 30 are probably achievable. The technical advancement needed is probably analogous to the development of the internal combustion engine, which powers most of our cars. The first engines weighed hundreds of pounds and were lucky to crank out five horsepower. My dad had a couple of these old gas and diesel engines at the farm. The flywheel alone must have weighed close to 100 pounds. When they were running, you could count individual explosions. By the middle of the First World War, the aircraft engines had over 100 horsepower. By the end of the Second World War, aircraft engines had over 1,000 horsepower. Except for the climate impact, most of us think nothing of the mechanical marvel that's a modern internal combustion engine. And down the road 100 years from now, they'll be amazed how long it took us to develop the technology for fusion power. Fusion reactors will almost certainly be safer than fission reactors. There's zero chance of runaway reactions and meltdowns, and there's very limited nuclear waste. And probably most important in today's world, there's no potential of using a fusion reactor to create weapons-grade plutonium or uranium. Unfortunately, most of the nuclear-armed countries in the world today develop them under the cover of peaceful nuclear power research or operation. Another hazard is the huge amounts of electrical power input and output in their operation. High-voltage, high-amperage electricity has the potential to cause all manner of arcing, melting, burning, and exploding if things go wrong. So hydrogen, eh? Ever heard of a hydrogen bomb? How does that compare to a fusion reactor? Yes, an H-bomb uses the fusion reaction, 
But crucially, it starts with a small regular nuclear fission bomb detonating at its core. This then starts a secondary fusion reaction of the hydrogen. So in order to make an H-bomb, you need an atomic bomb, a nuclear fission weapon, in the first place. There's simply no way that a fusion power plant can blow up like a hydrogen bomb. It's a little bit like fearing the water in a creek might spontaneously split from H2O into hydrogen and oxygen, and then catch fire like the Hindenburg. It's simply not going to happen on its own. Also drastically different is the amount of energy released by a fusion reaction compared to fission. It's orders of magnitude higher, which is part of the reason why fusion power continues to be so attractive. It's the densest possible energy source. So fusion sounds great in concept. Should we just stop all renewable power projects and just focus on nuclear fusion? Heck no. Realistically, the time frame to perfect the fusion technology and roll it out will be 15 or 20 years or more. We'll need all the solar and wind renewable power we can get long before that. Perhaps we can avoid building some new hydro dams though. If we can prove that we're on a path to get large-scale fusion power plants operational in a decade or so, then they become a valid way of supplying baseload power and we perhaps can save some rivers from being dammed. Hydropower may be low carbon in its operation, but dams are far from being environmentally friendly. Where fusion will come in handy in the future is when we need to double or triple the power generation or replace existing nuclear power facilities or solar farms as they age out. So nuclear fission power, yes, we'll need more of this, and the COP28 climate conference in Dubai this December confirmed that nuclear power generation will be on the rise. If they can make fusion power practical, it may end up being the lowest cost way of generating clean power for our children and grandchildren. So how can I help personally? Well, training to be a nuclear physicist or a civil or electrical engineer to design and build these power plants in the future would help. For most of us, just understanding that safe fusion power is coming and that it is different from fission power is enough. If a traditional Generation 3 nuclear power plant was planned for my area, I would probably join the protest march. And I probably wouldn't even want a Generation 4 nuclear plant in my backyard. But a fusion power plant? Now that would make a difference. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Climate Realist.